0: Well, I think it's important to know what you're dealing with when it comes to Christianity. Because when you look out there, there's so many different brands, aren't there? You've got your Catholic brand, your Anglican brand, your Baptist brand, your Presbyterians, your Unitings, your Independents. You've got a whole bunch of different brands. Which one is right? Which is the one that's right for you? And of course, over the years, Christians have been notorious for arguing with each other about what the most important things are. Today we're going to be celebrating baptism. You know there's a whole denomination that call themselves Baptists because they were committed to baptism in a way that was different from what a whole other bunch of Christians thought. So there's no doubt about it. There's there's a lot of diversity out there. There's a lot of different ideas about Christianity. And I reckon if we took a microphone to the streets and asked people, what do you think a Christian is, we'd get a variety of answers. Well, today, I'd, I'd really like to kind of boil this down and get to the bottom of it. Uh, recently, I, I purchased uh, a motorcycle. And, and if you've had the experience of going to buy something that's new, uh, you know that the haggling is, uh, is really part of the game. At least it is for me. You've got to play this haggle game. And, and there comes a point, though, <laughs> where they have in their mind what the bottom line is that they're going to accept. And if they still want to keep your business, then they're not going to drop the price any lower. They'll just add extras. Now, I can't do any more of it. Hey, we might be able to give you one of these nice bags over here for free. And we can give you a T-shirt to go with it. And maybe a stubby holder. And I thought that clinches it for me. I really need a stubby holder. Well, let's have a look at what Jesus had to say was the bottom line about Christianity. Because... I reckon the person to ask would be Jesus. If Christianity is the following of Jesus Christ, that's why it's called Christianity, Christianity, then what does Jesus have to say? And we've got a wonderful test case for us here uh, in this part of the Bible. Now, what we've printed up is taken out of one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, We've printed it here so that you can just read it easily. But if you went to a Bible, looked up Mark chapter 10, you'd see these words word for word. And what we have taking place is a man coming to Jesus, falling on his knees before him, saying, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So if you want a good question to work out what is a Christian, what is Christianity really all about? How can you be sure that you're right with God, that your future is okay with God, that you will have eternal life forever? Here's the answer. Now, what Jesus does in response to this guy is he actually points out a number of things that I think we need to take note of uh, as we look at it, because I reckon if we were to do those interviews with people in the street and ask them what they thought a Christian was, Most people would think that it's got something to do with being religious. And uh, I I think in our country, most people would say things like, well, somebody who goes to church or somebody who keeps the Ten Commandments. That would be an interesting test, actually, I think, because if we were then to say, well, how do you actually go in keeping the Ten Commandments? I reckon most people would probably remember one or two of them. Don't murder, don't steal, and then we'd struggle. At least, I don't think I, as a pastor, could necessarily tell you off the cuff what all the Ten Commandments are. So if that's the bottom line of Christianity, how are you going to work it out if you don't even know what it is? And so people simplify it, don't they? They think, well, maybe if it's not the Ten Commandments, perhaps it's the Sermon on the Mount. But again, I wonder if people have actually read the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus says some pretty outrageous things there. In fact, in chapter 5 of Matthew, uh, the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a pretty high standard, wouldn't you think? So if that's the bottom line of Christianity, you've got to be perfect, and the standard for perfection is your heavenly Father, God himself. If you've got to be perfect like he's perfect, then I think we're going to struggle. In fact, it doesn't really matter what standards we put in place, we will struggle. Whether it's the the doing good with your life, whether it's the religious practice of prayers and and reading the Bible, whether it's the rituals that you go through like baptism or, or confirmation or something else. When it comes to these things, the problem is not just our failure to live them out. The problem is that it's not actually... The way to be right with God. And Jesus will make that clear. Listen to his response to this guy. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. Nobody's good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. He's given him a few of them there. And he says, teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then this is the phrase I want us to notice. Then come follow me. See, at the heart of what it is to be Christian, it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. It's not about rituals and religion. It's about relationship. It's actually about following Jesus. And Jesus knows that there is only one who is good, one who is truly good. If you want a standard of goodness that will inherit eternal life, then your standard of goodness will be none less than God himself. And I know deep down when I look at my own heart, my own life, my own conscience, I'm never going to live up to that. And so if it's about my performance, if it's about my religion, if it's about my ritual then I've got no hope of being a Christian. So the first thing to see ultimately is the the failure of religion. What we do for God, it's never going to work. But it's not going to work in part because it's not the way. It's not religion, it's relationship. The second thing I think we see in this exchange with this man who comes to Jesus is something of how easy it is to place our confidence or our security in the wrong things. Have a look at what he goes on to say. Jesus looked at him, loved him. Verse 21. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. See here is a man who thought that he had done all that he needed. You know, he says I've kept this, I've kept this, I've kept this, I've kept this. But you know what the first commandment is? You shall have no other God but God. He hadn't kept that one Because there's one thing that stands in the way of this man coming to God. There's one thing that gets in his way, and it's his wealth. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying it's a bad thing to be wealthy. Jesus is not saying that you're somehow a more pious person if you're poor than if you happen to have riches. He's not saying that um, you you can be a Christian if, if you fall under the means test. All right? Now, it's not fundamentally about how much you own, about how much you have, but what you are looking to for your security. And here is a man who is unwilling to let go of what he's got. And I can kind of get that, can't you? I mean, we work hard for what we've got. We, we work for 20, 30, 40, 50 years maybe. And some people reach that retirement age and they've barely got enough to see them through the remaining years. And to be told at that point, well, you've you've got to sell it. You've got to give it up. You've got to pass it on to others. You think, what the? Jesus is pinpointing an issue for this man, an issue that is deep in his heart that's preventing him coming to God. See, this man, having been told that he needs to sell everything and give it to the poor, and then he will have treasure in heaven so that he might follow Jesus, he can't do it. He's very wealthy and he goes away sad. This man is unwilling to let go of what he thinks will be his security. What do you look to for your security? I mean, we live in a world that measures people by wealth, doesn't it? I mean, how much we've got in our bank accounts, what real estate portfolios we might have, what investments, what stocks, what shares, whether we've got a a career that's actually earning an income, whether we've got a solid superannuation strategy in place, whether we've got income protection insurance, whether we've got appropriate savings. We live in a world that commends those things that constantly encourages us to think that this is really where it's at. In fact, we measure people by their assets. We measure countries by their GDP. Some people, I don't quite get it, but many do, are watching to the end of the news every night to see whether the dollar is going up or the dollar is going down to see what's happening on the stock exchange, to find out whether uh, President Trump's latest tweet is causing things to crash or things to rise, because that will make a difference to their security. But, friends, we need to see that there is no security in wealth. It just doesn't work that way, because for all that money can buy us, and it can buy us many things, it cannot buy you a good relationship. It just is limited in what it can do. It can't actually give you happiness. It can't ultimately give you security. Just talk to people who, who invested heavily prior to the, the, uh, the financial crisis back in 2009. What was that one called? The global financial crisis. It was a pretty hard, crisis to escape. People who thought, yes, I'll be safe because I put all my money in the right places, suddenly found that they had nothing. And if we don't find that we have nothing, then there is one day on which we will know that we have nothing. You know that one of the most popular magazines in Australia every year is the Business Review Weekly's Top 100 (coughs) Apparently it sells more copies than just about any magazine in the whole year. The Business Review Weekly's top 100. People look up to and want to know who is it that has the most money? Who is it who's the wealthiest man or woman in our country? And each year there's a list and you can guess some of the names that are going to be up the top of that list. There'll be Mr. Fox, there'll be be, uh, Mr. Forrest. There'll be a Mr. Packer, and we don't know quite whether Mr. Murdoch actually is an Australian or whether he's American. There'll be all kinds of names that we recognise. But you know, one of the things about the Business Review Weekly's top 100 is that every year it also publishes the names of those who are no longer with us, who were in the Business Review Weekly's previous editions. And I've committed to memory exactly how much every one of them have left behind. Doesn't matter who it is. You ask me how much they've left behind. I can tell you exactly how much. Everything. Absolutely everything. Friends, banks, super, real estate, That's not where ultimate security is to be found. And sadly, some people sacrifice their lives. They sacrifice their relationships in chasing after things. But even more sadly, some people will sacrifice a relationship with God because things are more important. And that's this man's mistake. The third thing... I want to point out here as we look at this is the impossibility of salvation. Um, Have a look at what Jesus says. uh, I'll pick it up at verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, then, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. See, here is a man who comes to Jesus and he asks the question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what do I have to do to be Christian? What do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to be confident that when I die, I will be with God? Good question. And the disciples, as they listen to Jesus, are actually amazed. Because here is a guy who seemed a great candidate for this. He he lived a very good life. He says he's kept all of these commandments. But yet there is something more important to him than God. To him, it's his wealth. For others, it might be something else. And Jesus says it's actually impossible for man to be saved. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Um, I I don't know if you've ever tried to put a camel through a needle. Um, I, I, I now live here in this community, as I'm sure most of you do, and I get to drive or ride past camels many days of the week. Uh, going from Bonnie's into Port Macquarie. There they are. Um, I think it's about eight camels, is it? Have I got the number right? Something like that. And they, they, they're quite classic, actually. I, I think you could probably tell the weather by the camels. Um, if, if, the, uh, if there's a hump on the back, it's not really likely to rain. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's working. <laughs> are they also to point the same direction. Have you noticed that as well? Um, but I'll tell you what, I'd never think of trying to stuff... A camel through the eye of a needle. I wouldn't even try and stuff them through the eye of a key ring. And the thing about a needle is it's probably one of the smallest holes you can imagine, right? Well, if you lived in the Middle East, a camel would be the biggest animal you could imagine. So what Jesus is saying is it's easier... Well, it's actually easier to get that camel, the biggest of animals, to stick it through the smallest of holes than for somebody to be saved, for somebody to inherit eternal life. He's not promising great hope, is he? Now, what do we make of that? So the three things we pointed out. Religion is not the way. Religion doesn't actually make you right with God. It doesn't matter what you do. It's not about what you do. It's about relationship with Jesus. Secondly, we can get sucked into the false promise of security, thinking that that what we need to do is protect our own futures. You can protect it for a while, but you cannot protect yourself from death. Thirdly, we might be thinking there's something that we can do in order to be saved, and we need to realise there's not. But, and we need to come back to this but, verse 27, but not with God, all things are possible with God. So what has God done to offer eternal life. What has God done to make salvation possible? If it's so difficult for people to be saved, how does God overcome that and make it possible for people to be saved? Well, I've, I've printed up another verse. Right, I've taken the liberty of jumping down in the, in the passage to verse 45, skipped out all the verses in between, because I want to point out the significance of this verse. Verse 45, For even the Son of Man, Son of Man is just the way Jesus talks about himself. There's more to it than that, but that'll do for tonight. The Son of Man did not come to be served. He didn't come for people to serve him, but to serve. That is, Jesus came, not so that people would serve him as the king, but so that he could serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I think most of us have probably got some familiarity with the idea of ransom. You've probably watched a movie that has had a ransom in it. Uh, Somebody is taken captive and a note goes out that's printed up with all kinds of letters so you can't tell who actually sent the note, the ransom note, saying you either pay this money or release this prisoner or do this horrible deed or this person will die. You, You know that sort of idea, don't you? But but the idea of a ransom, literally, is the exchange of one thing for another. Now, I've got an example of this here. Some of you will know that we have a dog. Um, our dog currently is uh, called Bonnie. She's nearly 18 years of age. She's blind, she's deaf, and she doesn't seem to care. Um, and uh, a few months ago, she went missing a few times and uh, was picked up at the vet and There were people that wanted to take her to the pound. I'm very glad that they didn't take her to the pound. Because the dog that we had before Bonnie, who was called Harley, you can see a theme here, right? Um, That dog, being a border collie, could not be kept inside our yard no matter what we did. And so even as a pup, she would jump eight foot high fences and go missing. And uh, my wife and I became known as the strange people that would wander around the streets calling out, Harley, Harley, Harley. And on more than one occasion, our searches took us to the Canberra Dog Pound. And uh, I've got a photocopy here of a receipt. And and this receipt is from the Australian Capital Territory uh, Government. Uh, It's for dog poundage. And you can tell that it's a long time ago, not just because it says 1990, but because it only costs $44 to get her out of the pound. I imagine it'd be a lot more now. Now, I want you to think about what's going on because this was a ransom for our dog. She's held there in captivity in the pound and she's awaiting certain death. Six days they keep the dogs in the pound in Canberra and you knew what happened after the sixth day because when you walked into the waiting room there are dog collars dozens of them hanging from the ceiling seriously it's pretty intense and uh because she'd only been in there for one day i thought 44 bucks fair enough okay we'll we'll get her out i don't know if it had been five days that would have a lot of money but you see we paid a ransom A ransom to free the dog, to bring her home so she could be with us, but it cost. Well, the ransom that Jesus pays is far more significant and far more costly. The ransom that Jesus paid was his life. See what it says there? To give his life as a ransom for many. You see, if it's about religion, if it's about earning your way to God, if it's about doing enough good, if it's about keeping enough rituals, if it's about keeping the commandments and actually reaching a standard, then we're all going to fail. But God reaches out to us and says, I know you're going to fail and I'm going to pay the price. Have you ever thought it's strange that Christians at Easter time speak of the death of Jesus as Good Friday. I reckon it's strange. Fancy speaking of the the death of the person you follow as, as Good Friday. I think they should change the name. I think it should be absolutely, amazingly, fantastically wonderful, great Friday. Because it's on that day that Jesus pays the ransom. That he dies for me and for you that as he hangs on the cross, if we were there to look at it back outside Jerusalem in the first century, we could reasonably look up and and say to God, that should have been me. He's not dying for his own sin. He's not dying for his own rebellion against God. He's, He's paying a ransom to set us free. And so what is the bottom line when it comes to Christianity? Well, the bottom line is what Jesus has done for us not what we try to do for God. See, Christianity is its about what has been done already. And what's been done already has been done by Jesus. And so Jesus is calling us to follow him. He says to this guy, forget all of your wealth. You don't need that. It's not going to save you. It's not going to protect you. It's not security. Let it go and follow me. And I take it, he's saying that to you and to me. Whatever it is that we might be hanging on to, thinking that that this is what life's all about, that this will save me, that that this is the most important thing. He's saying, let it go and follow me. Let it go and follow Jesus. Friends, in a little while, we're going to be baptising Wilbur. And uh, I'm going to be asking him some questions in a minute or two. And I'm going to be asking what he places his trust in and who's most important to him. And if Wilbur starts to talk about the things that he's done that are good, if he speaks of his religious background or his newfound involvement in salt, we're going to have to stop the conversation. But I know he's not going to say that. Because he's being baptised today because he has discovered that following Jesus is what matters. And it's not a a kind of a a new way of saving yourself. Now, if you just follow after Jesus, then that, that is the good thing you do that outweighs the bad. No, you follow Jesus because he is the one who's done everything for you. And so following Jesus means putting your trust in Jesus. The one who paid the ransom, the one who died in your place. I don't think there's a more important thing to consider in life. And I want to leave you with a few thoughts. For those of you who might be regular churchgoers, it can actually be quite dangerous, you know, going to church, hanging around with Christians. Some of you might be thinking, yeah, I believe that. I've seen some of them. No, no, the danger is you can start to think that you're not a bad person after all, that you're really pretty good, that God must be fairly impressed and that you're part of the club, so you must be okay. For those of you who think the whole thing's a pack of nonsense, that can be pretty dangerous as well. I used to be a chaplain at the Australian Institute of Sport and then to the Brumbies rugby side in Canberra. And as I talked with some of these adult athletes, some of them would say to me things like, nah, it's not true. None of it's true. It's just been made up. And I say, so when, when did you check it out? Oh, I used to go to Sunday school. I stopped going when I was nine. And I'm thinking, seriously? You're going to make a, a, a life decision. No, No, hang on, let's... You're going to make an eternal life decision on the basis of stuff that you worked out when you were nine. I mean, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't choose a life partner simply based on a person we met when we were nine. We, we wouldn't decide upon a career based on what we thought we might do when we were nine. We, we wouldn't buy a house by asking our nine-year-old child to go and sort out the contract. So why do we think it's okay to dismiss God when we're little? And wouldn't it be wiser to check it out again as an adult? And I wanna encourage us to do that, to check it out. Nothing to lose, everything to gain. And if you want to ask questions about that, if you want to explore it, if you you want to uh, dig into some of those issues, if you'd like a copy of a Bible, there's free Bibles there on the table, you're welcome to take one. Uh, If you've got questions that you'd like to ask, then as I said, you might like to write that down on those comment slips and pass them in. But I want to encourage you not to make this a decision that you put off but to choose today to be a time to work it out. Thank you. We're going to sing again, and then after we've sang, I'm going to ask Wilbur to come down the front, and I'm going to ask him some questions.